Well, the thing about that that blew my mind was La La Land, everybody wanted La La Land to win, right? It right. was the crowd pleaser mm-hmm. yeah, movie definitely. of the year. And if it was 99 or 1997, it would have been La La Land. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it would be Moonlight these, Just, uh, yeah, because these of, days. Because of what political about. correctness, yeah. The Moral of the Story, the podcast where a writer, a philosopher, and a filmmaker explore the stories that make us and the morality that makes the story. Yeah, so this episode we're talking about Frozen, since Frozen 2 is coming out in uh, just a couple of weeks, I guess, and Frozen... Frozen two is perennial, right? Well, it's like um, it's like one of those flowers in in winter time. You know, they have those little Arctic flowers. Yes, uh, uh, like there's the the dryest flower. That's one of them. I know that frozen is like a perennial Arctic flower. You you can always find a little girl who will <laughs> I enchant love, you I would, with the song. I would like to point out the 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 comedy of. Three grown men talking about Frozen. <laughs> it is, but we're also we are three fathers <laughs> yes, talking about yes. Frozen, right? Yes. Um, and uh, so a disclaimer here: I am a father of one son and one son on the way, and I have never seen Frozen, and will probably continue to keep that far away, far away as long as possible. <laughs> what, what does it say in the scriptures? Come out of her, my people. <laughs> Leave Babylon. <laughs> So well, the first step to, is to. I am going Frozen. to be taking yeah. a stance of not ignorance because it's so in culture, pop culture, that it's hard. To, like I could probably sing you all the songs and give you a rough outline of what the story is about, but I have never seen it. So, like that's how. Right. That's how popular this movie has become. It is literally ubiquitous, pervasive across all of culture. Exactly. And yeah. and you know, even though it's been a long time since it was released. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. <laughs> See what he did there? Uh, well, and and um, one of the things I have ha- had to let go um, is <laughs> that I actually, I actually had the most disappointed movie-watching experience ever because I got faked out and slightly excited by the actual Scandinavian opening of Frozen because I love fairy tales. Right. And so I thought, okay, well, here's the Snow Queen. You know, you think Hans Christian Andersen. This is a real yeah. fairy tale yeah. being retold, right? In you know, in an ideal sense, in the tradition of Disney, like Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. You, you know, go down the list, which Cinderella. are just timeless. Yeah, and just, yeah. they're timeless. And he was he obviously had li- took liberties with those, but yeah, this very very well established fairy tale, and they started off with native you know obviously Home. not like not truly authentic <laughs> but you know but as close as hollywood gets look down to like, <laughs> look down you'll yeah, always be sense. a slave yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, musical yeah. Yes. right right um you know and then anyway and then it quickly devolved into uh you know the book of mormon-esque broadway stuff yeah. that that most of the rest of the movie is but um but you know it's funny because we're here, and and this episode is really broader than Frozen, right? But Frozen 2's release um, brings to the forefront the role that Disney plays in the lives of children all over the world. And I have three daughters. Okay, so Elsa, even though I don't know if they've literally watched the movie maybe once or twice since I took went to the theaters, we saw it in theaters, right? Mostly because Tangled was good. 
Tangled was really good. Tangled was so good, and mm-hmm. I really loved that. Um, you know, it's not totally free from some of the things we're going to talk about, but it was a good story. Yeah. You know, and real, it reminded me of uh, my favorite, you know, nostalgia of Disney, which is kind of like the Aladdin kind yeah. of a, yeah. kind of a feel with uh, the princess stuff thrown in. But anyway, it just brings to the forefront one of the things that this show is about, right? Which it's in our tagline. It's about the stories that make us. Right. Right. And the fact that the stories that we watch, it's not just that they're entertainment or that there's something that, you know, is a good way to pass a couple of hours. It's that our imaginations are actually formed by the content, the media, the art that we consume. And so as parents, you have an even greater burden when you say, how do I guide the consumption habits of my children? Right. And so for me, it's not just, well, obviously there's a, there's a minimum level beyond which they're gonna, come into contact with right yeah. but the ability i have to mitigate that is something i have to to think yeah way yeah. and think about well and and to me it also begs the question it's a kind of hard question to answer which is how much does life really imitate art to what degree does that happen because we know what happens obviously um well one dark example that comes into my brain is the way that the matrix and all the gunfighting in the matrix inspired uh, shooters, right? Like long trench coats and yeah, Columbine. Um, so, so that's that's yeah. like a really dark example of it. But you think about children's films, and you know we're we're being sold costumes, and people are dressing up as mm-hmm. Elsa or Anna or um, Anna Hans. Ben. Oh, Anna, Anna. I'm sorry, Anna, because we're <laughs> sweet. Well, it was like that that video Luke showed us the Scandinavian ish. Yes, Scandinavian ish. <laughs> Frozen. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but you're you're it's role playing, right? Yeah. So you're role playing, mm-hmm. but but at the same time, you know, I think back to my own childhood, and I never stole because I watched Aladdin right. that I can remember. And of course, his song was, you know, one step ahead of the hitman, you know, yeah. <laughs> running away yeah, from yeah. the palace guards. Right. So I don't know. That's an interesting question to me, how much we actually imitate what we see. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, well, I, we have an interesting personal story, but my wife was uh, reminded me of this when we were talking about uh, filming or filming. We're not filming. We're recording this episode. And um, filming one day. Y'all yeah, stay filming tuned. one day. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But we got our oldest daughter. Audrey a uh, costume, an Elsa costume when Frozen. She was like, oh, she was begging and begging and begging um, for one. And so I th- we got her one. And so, and they love to dress up and play. Hmm. But we quickly noticed that she put that on and just started exhibiting uh, totalitarian sister <laughs> behavior. <laughs> we were like, whoa. I am your ruler. <laughs> like, this you needs to stop. You cannot get married. <laughs> like, this has no, to stop, I right? Get uh, anyway, so uh, that, that costume uh, was lost. Um, you know, like, like many things that need to strategically disappear in our household. Um, <laughs> Y'all are did, worse than the bullshit. Where did my Barbie go? I don't know, honey. Sorry. I don't know. It, it, it's lost. It disappeared. Um, it went away. No, but anyway, so, you know, uh, that, I guess, I don't know. It's funny. It's hard for me because I'm not, I've never been in the camp of like Disney uh, haters or yeah. boycotters or yeah. any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I grew up watching. Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and the Lion yeah. King and a little bit the Little Mermaid that was sort of like on the fringe a Depending little bit. On 
who you were. It's with. a little dark. Yeah, I had <laughs> yeah. some friends that watched that, but I mean, yeah. I saw it, you know. But um, and I have to. It's one of those weird things because I, I knew people, and that was like Disney's the devil, and yeah, you know, we'd never watch it. Same here. Yeah, all of this, and they point out a lot of real things. I mean, like there are uh, Easter egg kind of moments in a lot of the animated films where yeah. the word sex comes up on the screen, or um, you see. Like in Roger Rabbit, there's some stuff, yeah. you know, of, of, and honestly, but they're, but people, I think they, they take way too much stock in some of these little Easter eggs, like things that last for like one or two right. frames right. of the film. Um, like the Roger Rabbit example. And there's, yeah. I think, I think that's the one where there's like a topless woman yeah. in a high rise. Yeah. For like a literally one twenty fourth of a second, or right? Something like that. And and it, who would and, watch Roger? This is like, I, I who would watch who, Roger Rabbit? Who would watch? Freeze! <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I well, knew it. Well, yeah. And and they'll say that. Oh, look, this is subliminal messaging being hidden here by Disney, right? And I mean, if you go down that road, you're just going down this like kind of never ending rabbit hole of of conspiracy. Yeah. Well, and, and, I, and to and me, I, even well, that itself to, was kind of cultural because remember that was the era where you played the disc backwards, right? Like oh, rock music, and, they, and you like, could rewind yeah. it, and it would have a worship or something. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, that that kind of stuff. But it also, to me, it just ignores the the kind of real world aspects of how those films are made. Right. You know, and that you have dozens and dozens and dozens of animators yep. who are responsible for one scene, you know, or doing one character's cleanup or, or whatever. Right. So, I mean, instances like that, I'm sure there was some board, possibly disgruntled, about to be fired, about to quit yeah. animator, who just thought, this will be hilarious, this'll you know, and, and he puts it in there and nobody catches it because who catches it? Exactly. You know, you, nobody's looking for it. And it makes it in the film. Right. And then, you know. And I can assure you, the first people that noticed that were not the people that worked on it. Oh, yeah. They never watched it again. They never watched it again. They're like, yeah, we're done. Yeah. We don't care about this. And then. It's over. And then when they inevitably found out about it through people who are like that, that will right. go through every single frame of movie to find its faults, mm-hmm. they'll be like, oh, I bet that was. Well, I, bet, I bet that well, was Bob. And, well, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, right, and, right. and I'll, I'll throw out a curveball a little bit because. To me, there's something about critiquing Disney, and and I think there's a lot of things you could critique about Disney, but I I find it odd, the critique of Disney, because when you go back historically, you know, Walt Disney himself, what was he trying to do, and and when he was working, I mean, you're talking about a man in the 20s who's an entrepreneur, Mm-hmm. And he has this vision for for something that had never been done before, and it really right. is a a remarkable only in America story. Yeah. yeah. But what was he inspired by? Mm-hmm. Well, he was inspired by the British romantic drive toward children. Right. There was yeah. this big drive in the eighteen hundreds yeah. toward children and children's literature. Mm-hmm. And you think about a book, for instance, like Treasure Island. Yeah. So Robert Louis Stevenson writes Treasure Island late in the 1800s, and he doesn't write that book for kids, quote-unquote. Right. It's just an adventure story that he thinks is going to sell, and it just so happens that the protagonist is Jim Hawkins, a boy. Well, pretty soon, within a few decades, you have Peter Pan, Treasure Island, The Swiss Family Robinson, these stories that are released that aren't even for children, per se, but they are taken over by this movement that wants to create literature for children explicitly. And like Peter Pan is a 
play for yeah. adults. Right. That's part of the charm of Peter Pan was you should be a child again, yeah, you adults exactly. out there with your kids. Yeah. That and really... so and so so part of the oddity of it to me is I don't know. I think a lot of the critics of Disney that I've ever encountered, they don't really go back and critique Peter Pan or Robert Louis Stevenson or any yeah. of the things that led us to this moment when we where we say, you know, kids aren't growing up and they're self-involved and yeah. there's egotism and all these things. Mm-hmm. And it's all kind of baked into this pie called British romanticism that however much you want to hate on it has produced probably 80% of all the stuff that people love today. Yeah. Like the stories mm-hmm. that true. people love to remake again and again and again. And if you like BBC or you like Beatrix Potter or you like Peter Pan or you like, you know, any of that stuff, yeah, you like that movement. You really like what it created. So the critique of it to me can't be just wholesale. It has to be more right targeted than just, mm-hmm. oh, this is childish or something like well, that. Well, and to be, you know, the type of people that sometimes go after Disney and, and some of those bandwagons, it, they do sometimes kind of pinprick like one thing and just like fixate on it mm-hmm. without like actually looking at, like you just said, that whole mm-hmm. history of what Walt Disney was trying to be a part of, of what, you know, the British romantic well, and, and I remember when, when, when we were over in England, you go to the children's section at an English bookstore and it's beautiful. It's yeah. this rich. Oh, absolutely. Colorful. I mean, I mean, an adult like me who likes children's literature on a literary level, I'm in seventh heaven yeah. walking mm-hmm. through this beautiful section of a bookstore. Well, and we were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, you have the kind of, I guess, the moralists who fault Disney on failing to give true moral content to children. You also have those who are, I guess, I, I, don't, I class them more in the uh, morally like co- countercultural hippie types that are really more focused on the fact that Disney is so consumerist right. that they don't want their children being filled with right. just consumerist yeah. dribble. Now and that I, I actually dribble. kind of find to be a very, uh, <laughs> uh, what's the word, <laughs> convincing. Well, yeah. And then I yeah. was, yeah, in that conversation, I was telling Alex and even another angle of that. And mm-hmm. I have a friend who who's not really on board with like letting his daughters, you know, dress up as frozen and all this, not necessarily from like a, like a traditional value standpoint or even from that consumeristic standpoint, but he wants his daughters to be invested in reality. Mm -hmm. Like what are you, you know, there is nothing about Elsa that is going to actually help you in the real world, Mm. which is kind of like a, well, maybe a little like almost anti-imagination, maybe not anti-imagination, but like, you know, you could I, take I, that to a you like could take that to a to an extreme. Place. Yeah. Don't but read Narnia because yeah. there's no such thing as a talking lion. Exactly. Be practical. <laughs> be practical. Learn useful <laughs> skills, but, you know, young he boy. He wants his daughter to like be invested in what's what's actually going to make a difference and what's actually going to be a part of the world, which is another very yeah. interesting angle to take. Well, but it, it, and it is, and it's the likewise. Like my three year old, you know, the other night she was just. Oh, she wanted to play on the phone. I said, no, you can't play on the phone. I just read a headline saying, screens changing children's brains. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you cannot play happy color by number, you know? Yeah. Um, it, and it's a harmless thing. It's like, oh, I'm playing color by number. I'm coloring yeah. a unicorn, you know? But, but you think on a practical level, what are 
the screens that pervade life doing? Like Disney is selling, they sell apps where you just, it's like princess puppy time. And you have a princess and you pick your princess and then there's a puppy and you get to dress up the puppy and you wash the puppy's hair and you comb the puppy's hair. It's not, you're you, not actually you, doing anything. You're not doing yeah. anything. And right. all it is is just filling their mind with this. Right. This, like, and uh, at some it, point, the Silicon Valley programmer that's inventing this for the entrepreneur who's going to make money is like little more than a drug dealer yeah, <laughs> for right. children's brains. Well, and this, the and dopamine and this, of And this where, for me puppy. personally, it that's starts right. to take a change because uh-huh. the, the Disney of old. And this is even goes back to like we were, you mentioned, Ben, the the British romantic literature. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of those timeless stories almost exist outside of us, like our society. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they they're universal. They're they're universal. They're timeless. So movies like Sleeping Beauty and Snow White, these mm-hmm. fairy tales, they're they're just like. I, I, I can't really relate them in any way to real life. Well, and they're not and they're not in a sense because they're heightened life, right? Exactly. And that and that's what makes them art. Yes. Right. And that's and to me, this is one of the most interesting things that uh, you know, obviously there was the period of like when Disney was making some of the war propaganda, that kind of stuff for the government. But, you know, generally the films made Bambi, right, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, um, Pinocchio would be one. Um, Pinocchio gets a little darker, but and some of those have a lot of dark in yeah. them. You know, have you Maleficent. all read the original um, Little Mermaid story? Oh, no. it's very dark. Yeah, <laughs> that's very dark. It does not end like it does in the Disney oh, movie. No, no, no. no. <laughs> well, I've, and I've told my ki- my children the real Little Mermaid story. Yeah, because that's a story about consequences. Right. There is deep, deep morality in that story. Right. And it's a deep lesson. But and this is what I'm getting to that like the early Disney. You know, he he did, you know, change things quite a bit. But generally he was you know, he had his animators studying like fine art with right. European masters and he was he was trying to create something that was literally a taking of old art forms at their highest and then bringing it to a new paradigm. Right. You know, taking the Tchaikovsky ballet and saying, We're gonna do this, doing this with Fantasia and all the other things he did. Mm-hmm. Where now it's literally become a consumerist drivel exactly. of saying we're going to manipulate and and take advantage of the catchiness of this song right. and these characters, and we're just going to make a boatload of money. And the thing I think is most interesting about it is I think you really start seeing that creep in as soon as Disney died. Yeah, like oh, definitely Jungle yeah. Book, and I, this is not a a, a a PhD level opinion, right? But it seems to me like Jungle Book is one of the first films uh, in the animated stuff that had a social commentary. Was that after he died? Was that the first in. one after? He was involved in the early stages of that film, but I think he died during production. Okay. Um, but you think of like post-World War II, okay, this is 60s, and you have those marching elephants who are, they are your typical po- yeah. post-World War II Yeah. Military dad, right? Who's clueless, doesn't yeah. know, um, you know, and they're and they're made a laughing stock a little yeah. bit, right? This yeah. is obviously your kind of culturally hip '60s generation poking fun at the older generation and doing this, and that's really where I see it starting. Yeah. Somebody could could probably find examples of maybe where it started earlier, but Peter Pan's also '60s, and that's of course Mr. Darling is kind of an infamously well, that's and that's part of dad. the classic story, though. And so this is. This is kind of where I am a little saddened in 
the way these movies have kind of taken a turn. Because like I had mentioned before, the older stories, films, and even broader, like these pieces of literature and, and these tales, they kind of existed outside of what was going on around in the world, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But today, that's completely different. Right. Like, mm-hmm. these movies are so... like, And it, really, it was a way to, to get your mind and, in a way, escape from mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, whatever was happening at that time. And, you know, from the time that these movies comes out, have come out, there was always something big going on, whether it was a war, whether it was, you know, just whatever it was. And these stories were a way that, you know, just for a short time that you could let your imagination just become enveloped with this story. And today, like, you can't do that anymore. Like, if you're gonna, if you if you sit down to watch an animated film, you can bet your bottom dollar that you're going to just get a waterfall of social commentary. Mm-hmm. Which I understand, like, like Zootopia. It, oh my gosh, don't <laughs> get me started. Like that movie, I I just did not enjoy that movie so much. But like. Personally, when you're young, when you're a child, let your imagination be your imagination. You know, let these stories that are timeless, mm-hmm. you know, don't, why do you have to get a mouthful of just social well, commentary? Well, that's, well, that's, well, that's part of when you're so, four so years I, old. I, I, like, I agree with what you're saying, actually, but I'll play devil's advocate for a minute because I think what's so fascinating when you look back and be the history guy again, okay, so... Zootopia, I don't know what year that came out, you know, just maybe five years ago, four years ago, but it comes out, and what is what are the messages? It's the politically correct messages of today, right, that are coming out, you know, gender questions, uh, racial questions, social questions, all these things that preoccupy us. But you fast, or uh, rewind, rather, back to the 60s and to the Jungle Book. And, you know, the Jungle Book ends with a quote from the Bible, if you remember, recall Baloo the bear falls and, and uh, Shere Khan has mauled him. Mm-hmm. And Bagheera says, no man loveth as much as one who lays down his life for his friends. You yeah. know, he's quoting Christ. Yeah. And, and in one way, you say, well, as a Christian, it's wonderful that Christianity had that much cultural power, that that could happen at the end of a children's movie. Right. Right. So in that way, as a Christian, I like that. On the other hand, I also recognize that the fact that that was even happening says something about the way we in America think about our art. So well, it let is me the just po- okay, tack yeah. this Go on. Ahead, yeah. And for me personally, that kind of also goes the other way. Mm-hmm. I personally don't enjoy a lot of the quote-unquote Christian films that are released because I feel they're doing the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. They're just... they're. It's it's just an, like you said, Ben. It's just another way to preach whatever it is that you're preaching. Mm-hmm. Well, Which right. I I you know I there is there is a, a a place for that I think in in expressing what you believe through what you're creating. Mm-hmm. But in another way, you know, my favorite movies are the ones that are just it's a story worth telling, mm-hmm. and it you know there is a there is a lessons to be learned through it. But it it takes me outside of mm-hmm. what's happening around me, and well, it teaches me something special. And, well, and, and if yeah. you read if you read Martin Scorsese's op ed in the New York Times today, um, which I didn't record this, um, <laughs> but you know, because he said a little while back in that whole dust up with Marvel, he said, you know, Marvel movies aren't cinema. 
um, right. releasing his new movie, The Irishman. And when you read that article, it's pretty fascinating because his whole point, he said, in making that statement wasn't even to denigrate Marvel. Yeah. He was basically saying what you just said. Right. Mm. Which is, it's true. I love stories that surprise me that are about a journey of characters and that it ends and there are stakes. And yeah. he says the purpose of a Marvel film is that it is not that. It's that it can go on forever and ever and ever. And it's the characters, only a reboot away. It's, yeah. it's only one reboot away. <laughs> Your career, reboot the away. new actor's career is only one reboot away, right? And But here's the thing. Marvel movies are defended today not even by people who want to defend them as stories, right? That's not how they're normally defended. They're defended because, one, people love them, and two, that they are culturally relevant or sociopolitically relevant. Well, and actually, I want to I launch off of that because what I, what I, I want to dig deeper into what you're talking about because this, I think, with the Me Too movement and with a lot of the things that have happened in the last couple of years, you do see that people have talked about the um, propensity to just essentially lynch those who are even accused, right, of misbehavior yeah, or the cancel culture. Yeah, it's just you're just out, you yeah. know, and, and of and, life. <laughs> and um, and obviously, there are some people that have actually done very, very horrible things. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I actually think that it goes back. In what you're talking about, Ben, to uh, our Puritan beginnings, hmm. the roots socially and spiritually of the Puritan impulse that was so prevalent in the founding of America, because that is an impulse that uh, it was a witch hunting impulse, right? They they wanted to erase anyone who was seen as not righteous. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's totally in the next in the terms of externals, and that impulse is what you see now, ironically, in Flipped. liberal, right, right that the, that liberal woke culture. But it's still if New you England. don't signal, <laughs> well, I know, but that's my, I know, I know, but that's to me, that's the thing that's ironic no, about no, it. No, no uh, hate on New England. Well, no, no, <laughs> but, but it is centered there. Even people who are you know Orthodox traditional Christians would say like we're surrounded by it, right? Yeah. But in New England is where all the puritanical stuff began. That's actually really interesting. Um, yeah. But those people are still there, but now yeah. they're doing the same thing, which is only from the opposite. being puritanical about right. wokeness. Right. You know, if you're, are you woke enough? And if you don't do the latest and, virtue and signal, actually, you're gone. And that's yeah. exactly what now has become such a problem in Disney movies. Yeah. Disney, I mean, obviously DreamWorks is even worse. Um, that the, those movies become merely propaganda. And now, as a writer, I sympathize in some way with the writers who are who want to do this. Right, they're trying to instill their belief system into the stories they're telling. Right, you know, which has been done by great writers forever. I mean, and, what was Tol- to honest, what was Tolstoy doing? Well, and to be honest, would you know? we not do the same thing? Like, I have to well, ask myself that too. That like, is a good, but that if is. If I were writing a story, uh-huh. would I not instill my beliefs into it? And I definitely would, but I think. In a way, you're going to insulate it with your truth. Yeah, exactly my <laughs> truth. So you know, that's I, the I, that's the rub. I do right? think that if it it could be a, a bit of a you know a double standard, and that mm. no, to me but, it's a fight. Yeah, it's not a it's not a double standard. It's a fight because it's a fight for truth. 
Right. And to me, the place where I would differ about Disney sticking in Bagheera saying, no man lay down his life for his friend, Mowgli. Um, you know, that moment, mm-hmm. that, you know what? Because that is a powerful truth. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And that is, and honestly, he made a much more poignant story than Rudyard Kipling. True. If you yeah, actually read the Jungle Book, the Jungle true. Book is kind of like, uh, oh, I guess it's over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? it's a little... It's very creative, but it's like right. those just so stories. Or anything. It's just that kind of cycle kind of feel. Right. And there's really not much of a poignant ending to it. Disney mm-hmm. was like, this thing's got to end, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so in that way, I think he knew very much something about what it means to make a story that impacts people. Yeah. You know, and what is that? That's the story of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's the story of the self-sacrificing right. hero who comes back to life at the end, right? And that, right. and now they just ape that with well, even with Little Tang- Mermaid, Little like Mermaid, the Beauty, and, Beauty and the Beast, yeah. Tangled, yeah, uh, Aladdin didn't really do that, but you, know, you there's a bunch, yeah. there's a bunch mm-hmm. of those where the Be- self-sacrifice is Sleeping Beauty, yeah. You know, there's, I mean, right. Sleeping Beauty, he runs in and says. The sword of truth. I mean, he's like he's like stri- <laughs> yeah. ripping straight out of the well, armor but, but, of righteousness. Well, hold on, though. Hold on from though. the Bible. But, but I want to make a distinction though between Jungle Book and Sleeping Beauty mm-hmm. because I think that there's a, a distinction here, and this might uh, clarify my earlier point. So, Jungle Book in its origins, not a Christian story. Mm-hmm. So uh, Disney is infusing his Christianity into it. Nothing wrong with that per se. Um, but Sleeping Beauty is a Christian story at, at its roots. You go back to the, you know, the, the, the traditions of Western Germanic sort of fairy tales. Sort well, of. there's some versions of it that are pretty It's <laughs> on the how much version you're reading. But, but in other words, Sleeping Beauty as a story is not, uh, you know, like India. Are is, fairies Christian? Well, well, I, mean, I see what you're saying. The, the, it's in a, part it's of Western. Western. It's Western. Yeah. part of Western yeah. storytelling. So, the, so my point, the Church of St. Thomas was in India long before the Jungle Book was written. <laughs> well, that's that's true. But obviously Hinduism but, was a lot but, more, more prevalent. So my point being, though, that what, we ha- what you could argue Disney did mm-hmm. to greater or lesser extents, depending on the story he was telling, was that Disney took all of these stories that society had kind of sort of to cobble together as children's illustrated classics. Literally what I grew up looking at in my youth. What what were those stories? Who chose those stories? A lot of those stories, like the Arabian Nights, that's not for kids. No. (laughs) Um, You go through these stories that are in children's illustrated classics. Who decided that those were children's stories? A lot of it was Walt Disney was a big part of popularizing that. At the very least, he popularized it. Okay, I'm quibbling, but some of those. Okay, I understand. But he he popularized it, took it over here to America, and... What he began to do is he began to basically take these shells. It's like a a, a cup, and it's called yeah. Jungle Book. And he goes, dump it, fill it up with whatever I want to fill it up with, and and now it's I full don't of, know it. And now it's full of Sherman Brothers songs, right? Well, and now yeah. it's full of the crazy old dad who's the elephant, you know, yeah, guy from yeah. World War Two. Well, I go back to you know we open this conversation talking about uh, the children. <laughs> the children, but we we opened Think up saying that children. we all like we all kind of disliked Frozen, but we all liked Tangled. Now, Still why? Seen it. Yeah. Why, why was that? Right? Like to me, that's an interesting question because mm. what I would immediately go to was that when I watched Tangled, 
even though it had the Disney fairy tale trappings, that was I was actually kind of overlooking that to some extent in what I liked about the movie. What I liked about it was that it was about real people, right? The, the mm-hmm. writers of that story, yeah, they had the funny songs, and yeah, they had the trappings of medieval Europe, but it was a well-told story about a girl who really did need to get out, and a guy who really did need to settle down. And, and other than the fact that she would have been a committable, uh, you know, insane, insane person if she had been locked up that long, <laughs> there is actually some really good psychology in the story of Tangled. Oh, yeah. The behavior oh, of the it's, mother, it's uh, a the, thoughtful, the witch mother. It's a thoughtfully and, written movie. When yeah. you compare it to Frozen, which I don't hate Frozen per se, it's just... Frozen, uh, to me, is just a lesser Tangled, really, well, in terms of eh, the story. No, to me, it's a little bit different. But let's dig into that, because Frozen, Moana, right? Is Still haven't more, seen that. No, more Still recent. start singing Moana. I am Moana. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, for me, personally, I uh, haven't seen a Disney movie since, <laughs> or a Disney animated movie. Okay, I did see Incredibles 2, but other than that, I have not seen anything in the past probably three maybe, years. Maybe this episode yeah. has taken the wrong tack. Maybe we should so. have been psychoanalyzing Luke to see what a non-Disney <laughs> person would be. Like. Yeah. No. Well, to me, this is this gets down to the, the nitty-gritty of it because at the root of this all, to me, the, the bigger problem is that Disney is such a huge force in our culture. Right. That whatever Disney decides to pump, is a it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of what they promote and what then the youth of our society project back. Okay, I've got a question. Okay. Now, this is something that I actually think about a lot mm-hmm. because we're talking about how these influences of culture are, are, are making its way into these movies. What do you guys think about how much of that is actually the creators trying to push an agenda or how much of that is Bob Iger knowing exactly what is going to sell? How much of it, and in in ten years, is he going to be or whoever's in charge then being like, well, the tide has turned, like in her, her, uh, Mary Poppins, the wind, the winds have changed. <laughs> We're going to tell a different story now because this is going to sell. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think about that? Well, I think it is. I mean, that is. I'm sure in some way that is a big factor because obviously the dollars are at, at the end of it. The currency of the religion of Disney is dollars. Yeah. Well, I completely agree with and, that. And that and is what you just said is exactly what Scorsese was saying in his right. article today, which right. was saying, you know, these these are movies by committee. Yeah. And, well, and, they and are. every single story moment, there's no, you know, I'll, and there's so many examples of this in film um, where they're just these serendipitous moments where the director said, hey, do this, or, you know, with this actor right at the end, and it's this iconic moment. That's not how Marvel movies are made. That's not how Disney movies no. are made. There's no serendipity in it. It's it just is a, it is a calculator. It's a calculation. It, it well, is a calculation. I want to bring up I want to bring up a quote from Bob Iger, mm-hmm. right? Because you go down to the people who run these companies, right? They're businessmen. <clears throat> they are very yeah astute businessmen. And him in particular, I heard him give a quote, uh, or he said when he was being interviewed about augmented reality or virtual reality entertainment. Um, that he basically said Disney wasn't going to do it because they were already in the virtual reality business in the theme parks. 
Mm-hmm. And that the theme parks are a real world virtual reality. And essentially that there's no business model where they could make more money selling VR than they could in getting people selling to come pay passes. 150 bucks a day, you know, yeah. to to go see Disney World. And so that was fascinating to me because in a sense it reveals part of why or what I think can be damaging about the way art is consumed in film or in music or other ways and when it is merely a tool for escape you know everybody enjoys a little escape yeah right you know and and that's probably fine but at some point that does damage yeah you know because you're not rooted in anything you're you are a product of the religion of disney and the religion of disney is i can be anything i want to be i am i am my own master I am Moana. Right. right? right. I'm chosen by the ocean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And, well, and, and, but, 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 but hold on though, because I want to distinguish something and I don't think you would disagree with what I'm about to say, but it sounds to me a little bit like you're saying that you can't escape into stories. You have to quote, live in reality. But there's a problem with that that I see, which is that, you know, the Bible is a story. Uh, we we are all living a story. I don't think that you can escape from stories into, quote, reality at some level. You, you, really, all you're doing is you're choosing to either truly live out, in its deepest sense, a true story, the true story, right. or you're living out this false story. Well, that's that, what it's about. That, that, that is false because it's incomplete, right? There's always an element of truth yeah. to even the most, you know, dumb Disney movie like well, think take Frozen for instance. It ends, and it says the power of love. Right? Is that true? Yeah, there <laughs> yeah. is such things as the power of powerful. love and yeah, all right. these things. But <laughs> you know, it, it's not the it, it's not presenting the entire picture probably. So yeah, it's so no, that's true. I mean, and I think this is you know the escapism question is a is a nuanced thing because yes, there are things that are it's good to have an imaginative world and to, but but to me disney's not really doing that anymore they're not really building their ima- imagination of children they mm-hmm. are kind of stuffing it full of of vanity mm-hmm, and that right. to me is where the big difference comes in it's that when you're dealing with vanity versus actual truths and that truth that the truth that if you sell your soul to the devil you'll die and go to hell yeah. Which is the story of the little mermaid. Yeah. You know, uh though that's you know, that's uh, a the pain, real little mermaid. The real little mermaid. <laughs> that's the real story. Not the Disney one. Yeah, right. And and that's a cautionary tale worth yeah. telling. You know, because I guess at the root of this, for me as a parent, what it comes down to is the fact that the stories that our children watch become their worldview. Right. You know, the reason, if you want to know, why does everybody in the world think these things? Well, go back and look at what they watched as children. Yeah. And you will know why they think it. Because your worldview is what you don't know you believe. Right. Mm-hmm. right? People have stated beliefs, but then they have feelings. Mm-hmm. And the power of art is to change the way you feel about things. Exactly. We watched Moana with our daughters once. And I watched it and I thought, okay, great. So this girl is singled out chosen by the ocean by who which is you know led by the basically mother earth the 
male demigod who is the god of creativity, of, of engines of creation, stole the heart of the earth and turned her into a haggard volcano monster. And only by returning the heart of the sea to the damaged goddess can Moana achieve true self-actualization and enact her destiny to become chief Tess of her tribe and to lead them on into the into the you know grand grand you <laughs> well, know kind of boring. Whatever well, it's like, well, but it's well, it, well. No, what's <laughs> shocking about it is the fact that you could have told that story in seven hundred BC, and all the Incas would have gone, yeah, <laughs> right. It's, I it, mean, they're no, actually like it's they are telling pagan stories, right? It's very pagan, you know, yeah. and and that pagan story is being absorbed into the subconscious of millions of young children. Yeah. And so to me, that's the problem. Then they grow up and what makes sense to them? Well, the pagan story makes sense to them. And the stories we tell define who we are. So in the aspect of saying, you know, Plato has a quote, um, or rather he quotes, probably is quoting Socrates, saying that uh, we should train children to lo- when they're young to love by instinct that which is true and beautiful. Mm. What would it look like to have children's movies and children's art that does that? And how does Disney do it or not do it? Mary Poppins. <laughs> the first one or the new one? <laughs> the first one. See, I still haven't seen the new one. And see, I'm but the new one, the new one is to me another example of how the new Disney is so far off base from Disney's roots. Well, and the ending of the first Mary Poppins is still to me one of the most spiritually profound Mm -hmm. endings in cinema. Because I have to have a pause and tell our audience that Benjamin watched Mary Poppins so many times (laughs) as a little boy that he broke the VHS. Even then. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Even then. I have never heard of that happening. The VHS broke. My, oh my, arti- my artistic <laughs> sensibilities were off the charts, even then. No, no. no but you've um, probably been formed by that movie almost more than anyone. Can it's you in, quote it's the whole incredibly, thing? Well, it's incredibly, it's incredibly powerful deep, film. and it's actually very Chestertonian after mm-hmm. G.K. Chesterton, because mm-hmm. as you remember, those of you who have seen the movie, you know, Mr. Banks goes before the bankers, and he confronts them, or, or you know, and they shame him in this kind of, uh, soft hazing ceremony, bust his hat up, and all this stuff, ruin his umbrella. Very British. And and then they say, "Do you have anything to say?" And he says, "Well, you know, <clears throat> supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, right?" The, and and he bursts into <laughs> laughter, and he says, "No, it's a perfectly good word." And then he says, "You know, the thing that doesn't exist, because because the uh, Dick Van Dyke says, you know, that word doesn't exist." These things you're talking about don't exist. And he says, you know, at the end of the day, the thing that doesn't exist is you. You don't exist. Hmm. And that to me is one of the most profound scenes in cinema because what it's saying is something that I think you were referring to, Alex, which is escaping versus not escaping. That there's this irony that the truest things are invisible things. Hmm. There are things that are not quantifiable, that they're not uh, measurable um, like money and banks and and prestige and social class and mm-hmm. all of these things that Mr. Banks worries about. Instead, it's 
children and flying a kite and 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 these other things. Right. And that idea it, it gets watered down a lot in our society to just be spend more time with the family, you know, which is one way of reading it, but I read it even deeper and say, you know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has intended for those he loves. You know, that there is a invisible realm and an invisible destiny. And and we need stories and symbols uh, to help us kind of reach out imaginatively and live in that reality, even though we don't sense it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, stories and films are immensely useful for the Christian um, in a way that really that they're not for an atheist right. or for a secularist. Right. Mm-hmm. Is that your moral of the story? Yeah. <laughs> Luke, what's your moral of the story? Yeah, well, that was, Ben, that was very beautifully put. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think what I was going to say, and you kind of like did it way more eloquently <laughs> than I probably will. Yeah. But um, yeah, I guess kind of similar. You know, for me, a story, you know, was always a way to learn something. You know, even in, mm-hmm. when reading the Bible, you know, I think the goal of it, you know, there's there's different things like the Proverbs where it's just like, do this, don't do that. Like, that's very different. But, yeah. you know, the stories, it's there for you to learn, um, which for me, that's that's what I love about stories is being able to take my mind out of working, paying the bills, like the very practical things of reality. It's a way to take my mind out of that and learn something new or think about something different. And to me, it's very hard to do when I watch a movie and it immediately pulls me back down to what I just heard on CNN or Fox News like about mm-hmm. something that's going on. It's just it's just like it's frustrating because I don't want to hear that. You know, I want to I want to just I want to learn something new, I want to experience something, something that enriches me. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the problem and what really, I mean, because again, I don't hate Disney. I, I like Disney. Mm-hmm. But it, it saddens me that that's kind of the directions that the movies have taken. And that's really why I haven't watched many Disney movies in the past few years, because I just don't have any interest to see what I'm seeing around me on an everyday basis in just a fun, creative way. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to see more of it. So if I'm going to watch a movie, I'm going to go watch an old movie that I know takes me out of that and teaches me something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of where I am. And my son is still young enough that right now he has just Winnie the Pooh on repeat. Mm-hmm. So I don't mm-hmm. really have to <laughs> I don't really have to worry about it right this very second. But <laughs> the that's new coming. one or the old one? Oh, what do you think, The mini Alex? adventures? The mini <laughs> yes. adventures of Winnie on the Pooh. On Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> he might well, break the DVD. Yeah. So... That's kind of what, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm going to have to make those decisions very soon mm. for my own son of what I'm mm-hmm. going to, you know, the, what stories am I going to share with him? Mm-hmm. And obviously the big ones are going to be the ones that are near and dear to my heart. I have so many memories of like sitting in my living room, watching the Swiss family Robinson and like building a fort when they built the fort and mm-hmm. like. You know, we're warning and they, and they release the styrofoam Those, logs yes, that bounce like, off. Yes. <laughs> it's like the pirate gets hit. Yes. And it, it bounces like, off the pirate. And then he's like, ah. Yep. 
I just love that so much. But it was so, amazing. It was so, so good. good. I remember yeah. having like my 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 musket, and it was like you know. Yeah. So oh, I you know, know. I, I'm yeah, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. have to oh. decide very soon which stories I'm gonna share with him. Yeah. And you know, I I'm not always gonna make the right choice, but I I hope that you know I'm able to pass along the the lessons that I get from these stories. Mm. And you know, because one day he's gonna he's gonna learn everything that's going on in the world, and mm-hmm. you know you're gonna see it reflected in the story. So for me, that's kind of where I fall in all this. I just mm-hmm. it to me, it's really kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like I I really hate this and I've got a problem with it. It just saddens me because right. it's like well, and I don't and, get. And despite all that darkness, you still have, and I would still say this you still have some of the very best mm-hmm. storytelling happening in children's yeah. film, and I, literature. I would say Pixar. Like Paddington 2 is one of that, the yeah. best <laughs> that films is, that made is in really, the last 25 years. That. that is I mean, a really good an, movie. An but iconic but film. Pixar 2. Like, yeah. the, I, Pixar is Disney, but in some weird way, it's very separate. Because mm-hmm. you have like the Toy Story movies, Ratatouille is probably my favorite Disney animated mm-hmm. movie. Like, mm-hmm. in some weird way, those are very disconnected from all the other ones, and they're mm-hmm. just like, they're they're great, you know. And so, well, that's kind like, of Ratatouille. Though is like a work of art. I mean, yeah. the the visuals, the visuals. It's are, just are I, the music, man. Well, um, and the the art, and in some way, there's an analog. So that's that's the moral of the story for me. That's your so moral. Alex, yeah, yeah. wrap it up okay, here. Okay. In some ways, like the golden era of many art forms, you know, if you go to most art forms, the inventor of it is the best one that ever does it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to you know, Greek epic poetry, and Homer is the first and best, or first known, you know, best ever. Everyone after him is uh, devolving from him. Right. Shakespeare wrote the first modern English works and is the best user of English ever, you know, of mm-hmm. all users of English. Dickens or maybe Jane Austen, Jane Austen the invented novelist. the novel. Yeah. And, you know, she's the best novelist. And yeah. in some ways, Disney, he invented the modern, obviously the modern animated film. Definitely. Um, but was one of the pioneers of film period. Definitely. You know, and was one of the best storytellers. Um, to me, the thing that is so sad and the thing we hunger after is that he knew that we want the language of fairy tales in our life. Yeah. And that, and, you know, circling on some of the things we've talked about, that fairy tales, like actually G.K. Chesterton talks about this, fairy tales and what you learn in the nursery are actually the deepest truths you can ever learn. Mm -hmm. Um, And everything that you learn in the law of fairy tales is actually the deepest truths and that to me this is where like the question of like escapism versus mm-hmm. uh you know valid entertainment or or what we uh, are con- what we consume really comes down to this that some escape you can escape to things that are more true mm-hmm. than what we see in the world around us mm, yeah rather than things that are false right rather than vanity and pride yeah and lies you know i mean those are those are the lies of the enemy you know right. the the me 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 or mm-hmm. you know let it go release my inhibitions you know or whatever those things are well no you're not supposed to let it go you're supposed to to you know 
stitch it up, you know, <laughs> you know, like sew it up and be. <laughs> we can make a make Doesn't a parody song. Ring. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. And yeah. as to me, that's and I'm gonna jump to one of our favorite topics, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. One of the reasons, so I, I Lord of the Rings is not escapism to me. You know what? Because the language of that story is a a window to explore things that are actually much more real mm-hmm. than the things I encounter in the bills of of the month and work a day world and taking a shower or all the things you do every day. Um, hopefully, and um, <laughs> you know, and and so to me, it's about hungering after and looking for those things that pull us into the deeper reality. Yeah. And that's what truly great stories are about. Mm-hmm. And what I think was magical about Disney because he took this new art form and used it to do that. Mm-hmm. And it, there there is one story that I think I should share in part of this podcast before we close up, but it it's one of the more amazing stories I've ever heard because Disney um in the 20s right at the kind of start of his career, he had signed a deal with Universal and he had um, this character called Oswald, who was a rabbit, and he kind of looked like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and um, and this oh, was before funny, Mi- yeah. th- this was before Mickey Mouse. Uh-huh. And Oswald was used in you know six or more shorts that Universal put out, and it was a popular character. Oswald was, um, but Disney and his partner. Their team of uh, animators that they ran, um, they were all under this producer named Mintz. And Mintz was their liaison with Universal. And one day, Walt Disney went into Mintz's office and Mintz informed him that he had hired out all of Walt Disney's animators out from under him. And that he had bought Oswald, basically. That he had configured a way where mm. Oswald was in his power mm. and he kicked Disney out. Mm. And so Disney walked out of that office with with nothing mm. and except the idea for another character, Mickey Mouse. And that story has always really stuck with me because I think it plays off of that Mary Poppins scene a little bit when you think of... because. Mm. Walt Disney really poured himself into that film, actually, mm-hmm. um, biographically, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at um, the work that he was doing um, and the fact that it has the power that it has today, um, it's not because of money. It's not because of commercialization or what have you. It's because... Disney, unlike many, many giant mega corporations, put at its center at the very beginning family, mm-hmm. beautiful stories, children, children. Yeah. And to the extent that it has the cultural power that it has, so much of it is because of that vision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if Disney ever truly sold out to the extent that it was no longer about those things mm-hmm. on some fundamental level then it would cease to be powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, in a way, it it's a testament to the power of those ideals yeah. and those truths that we as Christians hold to be. Right. And I think, just very lastly here, it, it brings back to mind, uh, 
you know, when Jesus said, unless you change and become like these little children, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's like, there's that innocence and a children's story that is like, like Alex said, it's like what you learn in the nursery is, is the, the truest of the true, Mm -hmm. you know? And so unless, Mm -hmm. you know, unless we change and, and become like these little children and what they, their imagination and Mm -hmm. what they believe. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's simple when you're a child, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, you don't have to worry about social issues or political correctness when you're four. Mm -hmm. Like that's not what you're supposed to worry about. Yeah. Right. It's supposed to be you versus, you know, you and slaying the dragon. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's simple. Mm -hmm. It's one of my, one of my, I didn't say it very last. I'll say very, very last. PPS. One of my, yeah, PPS. One of my favorite, uh, favorite books is Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. And it's really his telling of how he came to faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but this thing, the third chapter is called The Ethics of Elfland. And in it, he talks about the nursery and the fairy tales idea. And just the fact that that language of, uh, of the fairy tale is so rooted in the bedrock of humanity. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, when you have you say the word onion and the glass castle is shattered or mm-hmm. you look behind you and all the dream turns away. Right. Or you eat an apple, an apple is eaten and the hope of paradise is gone. Yeah. That, and he doesn't say that because the garden of Eden is a fairy tale. Reality is a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. The deepest laws are the fairy tale laws. Right. You know, and it's it's um, you know, you can complicate it a lot more with the philosophies of people like um, Father James Shaw and like the unimportance of or unseriousness of human affairs. You know, and yeah, yeah. All the unimportant or the non-business things in life, for the silly things in life, are what matter so much. Right. But yeah. Anyway, so that here's has been really great. Here's to hoping that that Walt Disney, um, his his dream of of um, artistically beautiful and true stories can be made for families yeah, and children. Definitely. Yeah. Once again. Um, but I encourage everybody, uh, think about the things your children watch. You know, yeah. our, our children spend more time on screens than, definitely than we ever did. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ever before. And so, and at closer proximity, everything else, you know, been talking, he's right about the drug and the dopamine in the brain. But, you know, think about what they watch is it true is it beautiful and is it good is mm-hmm. it is it forming their imagination in a way that leads them deeper into truth or is it propping up an idol in their own mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah. a disney channel idol yeah um yeah and that is something every parent has to yeah. think deeply about yeah food for thought yep well this has been another episode the, the moral of, of the, the story. Moral of the story. And thank you for tuning in. We invite you to share this with your friends, family, and enemies. Mm-hmm. And uh, tune in next time. Maybe we'll, your enemies first. Maybe your enemies first. Love yeah. your enemies. Yeah. Love your enemies by sharing so by the moral sharing of the story. With this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good practical way <laughs> to share some love with your enemies. Just yeah. forward, text them right now. Forward them this link. Don't say anything else. Just text them. And uh, it actually really helps us if you leave 
positive review on whatever mm-hmm. platform you're listening on. Give us five stars. Tell us in the comments what you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do like hearing from you guys. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. The Moral of the Story with Alex Wolliver, Luke Taylor, and Benjamin Wolliver. Please subscribe to The Moral of the Story on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen. Visit moralofthestorypodcast.com. Copyright 2019 Moral of the Story Media.